Hello and welcome to all of you out there. Welcome to this Monday's edition of the Arts Magazine Show. I'm Michael Hoog, your host. Glad to have you with us on this Monday here in the city. Quite nice out there right now as you listen to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in good old Kansas City. Glad to have you with us on the program here today. We have some interesting shows to talk to you about today, both of a very mysterious nature. And I'm kind of in the mood for that, actually, so I'm looking forward to that. First off, we're going to talk about the Lyric Opera and their show, The Shining. And uh, Edward Parks will be with us. He plays, uh, or sings, I should say, the role of Jack Torrance in the show. We're going to tell... Uh, all about his experience preparing this. And then later on in the show, uh, the Bell Road Barn is uh, going to be on again. I haven't had them on in a while. They are doing a very interesting sounding play called Dead Man's Cell Phone. We all use them. We all love them most of the time. <laughs> but what happens when a person passes and leaves under unusual circumstances, I guess, and leaves their cell phone behind. We'll hear all about that from uh, the director and two of the actresses in the show coming on later in the program. But right now, as we bring him up right now, Edward Parks is with us. He sings the role of Jack Torrance in uh, the lyric opera production of The Shining. Welcome to the show, Edward. Glad to have you with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. He's a Grammy Award-winning baritone. He has sang La Boheme with the Boston Lyric, among other things. And I hope I pronounced this one right, Edward. 
Arkipov? Arkipov? Yeah, Arkipov. It is a, uh, a, a, a fairly new, as I understand it, opera about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, yeah. Now, the Santa Fe Opera, uh, he was in the show. Uh, that's that opera about Steve Jobs, Carmen mm -hmm. Faust at the Lyric Opera of Chicago, and many, many others as well. As I looked over your bio, I thought, now he kind of balances himself. Now, he sings the traditional operas, of course, but uh, he's doing this one, a fairly new opera. This might even be the first performance of The Shining anywhere. Is is that true, Edward? Uh, no, this will actually be the third, the third. third uh, well, same production, but uh, third city. And uh, you, as I said, you're... you're I, I can't begin to say it, Arkhipov. <laughs> I'll get it right eventually. Uh, it's about the Cuban Missile Crisis, also a, a more modern-themed opera. Uh, and, of course, the Steve Jobs play, that uh, the Steve Jobs opera, that played uh, here last year also, I believe. Yeah, it did. It so, did. so you kind of balance yourself between doing new, I'm going to call them cutting-edge operas, and the traditional ones as well. Uh, is that something you wanted to do? Does it does it make it more challenging and interesting for you? Well, I I mean, if you would have asked me whenever I was uh, a young artist if I was going to, you know, make my bones in contemporary opera, I would have probably said no. But, um, you know, I yeah, I do, I do a good balance of, of standard rep and contemporary, but I would say... Uh, I, I tend to do a lot of contemporary and world premieres and um, and I do find it very interesting and and it's it's very challenging musically and I mean this one it's very challenging musically also it's challenging uh, dramatically you know it's uh, very intense um, but yeah I think doing newer works kind of inspires me so. That's great. We all need new challenges in life sometimes, and uh, mm -hmm. you found some interesting ones, I think, to uh, to dwell on. Let's let's talk first of all the the show that you you're currently going to be in, which opens on March the 11th, by the way, at 7:30 p.m. Performances continue then Friday the 17th at 7:30 p.m. Sunday the 19th, a matinee at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. And if I've sparked any interest so far. Go to their website, kcopera.org, or their box office number, 816-471-7344. I want to talk to Edward about uh, The Shining. It was uh, a very well-known and well-sold uh, book by Stephen King first, and mm -hmm. it got turned into a movie, and now they've gone the opera route. Uh, how... Uh, how is that? How, how, how do you feel about that? Do you try to put your own little touch on the character? And, and before I get into that, I suppose I should ask you, if there's someone out there who uh, uh, has not read the book, has, uh, has not seen the motion picture, tell them a little bit about The Shining and uh, the character you played, Jack Torrance. So uh, I guess to answer your first question, um, you know, I believe that it's, you know, the the... Stephen King wasn't very happy with the movie because it doesn't exactly follow the the story and the the, the line of, of of his you know novel. Um, 
in 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 the in the sense that Jack Torrance is, you know, Jack Nicholson kind of he was kind of crazy from the beginning, you yeah. know, and uh-huh. there, was, yeah. there wasn't quite of an arc of character. Um, he he has a bit of redemption at the end, you know, and he doesn't totally just go. I mean, he does go crazy and and gets taken over by the hotel, but he he um he does have some. Good qualities too. <laughs> yeah, I say. Um, I think for people that haven't that don't know The Shining, I mean, I think it's it's a great it's a great novel. I mean, the book is incredible. Uh, I thought the movie was very good too. But in terms of uh, having something that is telling a story and having something that is um, has the emotional arc of of characters, I think the opera. Uh, falls more in line with with the novel and and the story itself. Well, that's certainly very mysterious. Nicholson, of course, probably wanted to exaggerate the characters. Uh, uh, wanted people to be more in fear of him, perhaps. Uh, does that follow through to the way you interpret uh, the character in The Shining? Um, I think you know he. I think it's about a man seeking redemption. You know, I think he's he he battles with demons, um, you know, alcoholism, uh, childhood trauma uh, with his his own dad. Um, and I think that in terms of being in a in a in a situation like he is in the hotel, that is you know has its own ghosts and uh, and life force. Uh, finds him as an easy subject to uh, to take control of, and um, and at the end of the story, I mean, he, he the, this, the hotel is really after his son Danny. I mean, the hotel wants Danny. Um, he, he essentially is using Jack to deliver Danny to the hotel. Um, but yeah, I think you know character. Um, I, I try to I try to bring the humanity to him and the sense that he is a person that's trying really hard to to be better and to do better by his family and himself. And I think that, you know, he it's unfortunate that he finds himself in this kind of situation. The characters find themselves at the Overlook Hotel. Uh did they mean it to be Colorado, or is that just a an invention of the motion picture? No, I think that the the way the the story that I heard is that um, Stephen King was actually he stayed at the because it's, it's based on the Stanley Hotel, which is in Colorado, uh, it's outside of Denver, and he stayed there and he wrote he got the ideas the the concept for The Shining. Um, from staying at the hotel in in Denver or outside of Denver, yeah. So that's uh, that's interesting. And he writes and has in other stories of his about places he's been, people he's mm-hmm. known, things like that. That just adds more to it. The at least the frightening aspect to it, as as is the case in The Shining. Of course. Yeah. Tell us tell us about uh, your initial reaction to being ask at some point if you wanted to do this uh you know you you pay you play a character 
well, the proviso that I saw on the website was content may be disturbing to some individuals. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I should throw that out there. That undoubtedly means to me that's pretty intense. Yeah, I mean it's a very intense. I mean it's a very intense part. I mean to to go from being a loving husband and father and trying to do right and and to you know eventually trying to attack and um the the ones that you love it's yeah it's quite a it's quite a shift um and not to mention vocally it's it's very dramatic and physically it's very demanding and uh, emotionally it's uh it's a it's a wild ride but um i i've always loved the the novel and i and i loved the movie i had a poster of the in my my dorm room in college and um, so whenever I heard that they were uh, going to be doing The Shining, I really, I was really hoping that I could be a part of it, and I was happy to to uh, to jump on board. Well, that's great. I also remember reading uh, one. I guess critic was quoted as saying, "Music as haunting as the story is horrifying." Yeah, I mean it's it's a really really well written score. Um, and the libretto is just incredible. I mean, I think the storytelling uh, is is on par with what you would you would you know um, you would hope for in, in something like this. In telling the story of, from from the novel, and I think uh, Paul and Mark do a really fantastic job. Sounds like quite a challenge for you. Uh, the intensity of the song now of the lyrics. I, I, <laughs> of course there's lyrics the, the intensity of the music and the lyrics of course it's uh, an opera so mm -hmm. the story is told folks through the singing and the performing and uh, uh, performers in the opera are especially good at doing that uh, there are no lines per se only in the songs and what uh what you hear them sing, and, and the meaning comes through that way. Uh, I always thought that that would probably be uh, one of the more difficult things uh, a performer could do. Uh, as as be, To be an opera singer? Well, sure. And the interpretation that you have to do, uh, you know, you, you can't do a line aside to explain something. It has to come out in either your actions or through the lyrics uh, yeah. in, in the numbers. Well, I, I, I also feel like it's, you know, when, when I feel like music is the greatest communicator. And when you can be, when you're able to sing, you know, your lines and, and your thoughts and your feelings through that and allow, you know, the, the music that Paul has, has written also just drive, it just drives it home. You know, it, it's, it's a special, uh, Opera is a very special format, and um, I think in a story like this, it, it works exceptionally well. Yeah, and we're speaking with uh, Edward Parks. He is singing the role of Jack Torrance in the lyric opera production of The Shining. Opens up on Saturday, March the 11th. That's coming right up, so you're, you're probably deep into the intensity right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Performances will then continue on Friday the 17th, also at 
and a matinee on Sunday the 19th at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts. The address is 1601 Broadway. You can go online to learn more about that at kcopera.org, or you can call their box office number, which is 816-471-7344. Speaking with Edward Parks, uh, I, I just... I'm in a way fascinated going in between the more modern, cutting edge, and that's my term, <laughs> operas, mm-hmm. of course, and then the traditional operas as well. I would think you would enjoy doing something like this just as much, if not more, than you have some of the traditional operas that you've done. Yeah, I mean, they both, they're both special to me. This is, this is unique in a way that you know, I can really put my stamp on something and make it my own. Um, I mean, that, there's, that, that's available to us also in, in standard rep, but um, doing things like this is definitely pushing the, the art form, and that is, that's, that's pretty special. As an opera performer, and from from having talked to other opera performers, they've they've told me that uh, they're on the road quite a bit dur- during the season. Is that the same case with you, Edward? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I I have a young daughter and young family, so I I try to minimize as you know as much as I can uh, how long I'm. I you know it's acceptable to be gone, and um, so yeah, that's that's the major that's the major challenge. Or a you know performing artist is just the time away. How much do your uh, does your daughter know about The Shining, for instance? <laughs> too well, young, she, too young to uh, have yeah, her come she, see it. She's only seven, so uh-huh. she doesn't know a, a lot about it. She just knows that she she's not able to watch this one yet. <laughs> <laughs> see, Dad up there acting rather odd at times. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's uh, always very challenging, and I believe I mentioned earlier, and I should again, uh, on the proviso, on the website, it does say content might be disturbing to some. Uh, I don't know. We're we're all adults, and with this particular production, I think uh, I think something unusual is expected. I would think. Yeah, unusual <laughs> things happen at the Overlook, so. <laughs> now you also have you done or are you about to do that wasn't that wasn't clear to me the the one about the Cuban Missile Crisis um, we did that uh, a few months ago in LA um, it's a very interesting piece as well that uh, what real characters uh, from from real life because uh, I'm old enough I sort of remember that I was little but I remember uh seeing my folks glued to the TV, and my, my father at the time was afraid he was going to be called up. Uh, I remember that, certainly, mm-hmm. about the Cuban Missile Crisis. What characters are featured in that opera, and who did you play? Um, well, it's a, it's a true story about a, a Russian submarine uh, sent on a mission to, uh, to set up a, a, a naval base in Cuba. And they were to go from Russia undetected to Cuba uh, carrying a, uh, a nuclear missile. And they were uh, discovered by the Americans and um, 
Arkhipov is the character I play, and he is a, 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 a real person, was a real person, and he was a very uh, famous um, captain of uh, numerous different submarine missions, you know, in Russia's history. Um, and he, on this, on this journey, was second in command to a younger, uh, to a, a newer uh, captain. And when they were discovered by the Americans, they were dropped, Americans were dropping charges on them, trying to get them to surface. And the Sabitsky was the uh, first in command, and he wanted to fire off the missile. Um, and the third in command, the way their system worked, they needed the top three to all agree to, to do something like that. And Arkhipov was the only one that said no. And so he essentially uh, warded off World War III. Yeah, so the decisions he made probably prevented things like yeah. that. For, for those who aren't old enough to remember or haven't done a lot of reading about it, it's my understanding that... Uh, uh, one of the United States U-2s uh, planes uh, originally spotted some suspicious things, and that kind of led to uh, the events that happened after that. And things were, as, as you, there's been several movies filmed about it, but usually from uh, the White House perspective, uh, mm -hmm. you, you see actors playing uh, President Kennedy and some of his yeah. uh, associates as well. But this one is really interesting because it comes from the perspective of the Russian submarine, which I find yeah. really interesting. And isn't it amazing in this day and age that some of these stories are turned into not just movies, perhaps, but into operas? Is, is it difficult to tell a story through just the words uh, and the lyrics well, of a, I, a, a, I really, I really feel like it's it's a an art form that can really transcend stories, and I think that, um, you know, I, I think people have this idea of opera as this highbrow and you know it's a socialite kind of situation uh, going to the opera, but at the end of the day, as an opera singer, you know, my job is to. Uh, relay the text and the emotion, and um, and I think the form in which we we have to to do so is really uh, it's anything but uh, highbrow, you know. You certainly, I think, yeah. that, I think that you know people go see musicals and and they're uplifted, and you know musicals can tell really great stories too, and. Uh, I think with opera, you get more complexity and you get more texture and you get uh, somewhat of a, of, of a bigger story, more dramatic. And I think that um, I, I don't find it difficult. And I think it, it actually is uh, it's a really clear way to, to convey a story. It really is. I, you know, your standard Broadway musical they are beautiful songs, and they cover a variety of topics, but for the most part, lighthearted, uh, uplifting, as you said. Uh, that isn't necessarily always the case with some mm -hmm. of the projects that we've been talking about. Uh, is that more of a challenge to you? I mean, a lot of operas 
are also tragedies. I realize that. <laughs> but uh, but this tells a real story, at least in the ones that we've talked about so far. But with that and the Steve Jobs uh, opera as well, tells a real life story uh, in, in their own way, of course. Yeah. And I was lucky to premiere that opera with, you know, and work with Mark. Again, Mark Campbell, the librettist, who, who did Steve Jobs as well. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's a it's an opportunity, and I and I think new music, contemporary opera, um, really is shaped for opportunity and for bringing in new audiences and bringing in younger people. I mean, when I did Steve Jobs in Santa Fe, I had one of the greatest experiences doing that show, and I was in a Trader Joe's. In between, we, we I don't know how many shows we had, but we'd already done a few. And this woman came up to me and asked me if I'd played Steve Jobs, and I said I did. And she said, I just wanted to tell you that I dragged my son, who's now 14, to the opera every year, at least one show. And this is the first time after seeing Steve Jobs, he said, when can we go back and see it again? Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's, that, that experience proves to me that, how much of an opportunity this is, how much of, uh, you know, what people want to think is a ancient art form, how, how relevant it is and how relevant it can be. And I think, you know, with contemporary opera, that it's a real opportunity to, to push it, to push it forward. And to, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's, that's it. I, I just, I just feel like this is a, and this probably has happened throughout, but I think now we're in a time here where that's, this is happening more and more and probably will be happening more and more. Do you know of any other operas of, of this uh, nature, perhaps, that, uh, the, that are being perhaps gotten ready to, uh, to come? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's... there's a tremendous amount of new opera being written. Uh, I'm doing another world premiere in the fall in uh, in Arizona. We're doing um, um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, and yeah. and it's an incredible story too. And it's you know, I, I, so I think that it's you know, if you look at most opera houses, they are all doing new works, and a lot of them are commissioning new works and from new composers. And the Met is doing it, and Lyric Opera Chicago is doing it, and I mean, every, pretty much every opera house is doing it. And so, uh, it, I think we're going through a real period in, in in the United States, anyways, that of of new works being commissioned and being driven forward uh, with the the thought of pushing the art form forward. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Edward Parks uh, sings the role of Jack Torrance in the lyric opera production of. The Shining. Uh, people have certain es- expectations, of course, but uh, uh, as you said right away at the beginning, uh, this is much different from uh, the motion picture. And uh, and I'm kind of sad to hear that Stephen King didn't like the movie very much. But I but I understand that, you know, he he lived with it as he was writing it, and to see it being done. Not exactly the way he would have foreseen. Uh, it had to have been a bit of a disappointment, I suppose. I, because I think, you know, in, in his story, Jack has 
uh, a beating heart, and he has uh, he is he is being possessed by something other than you know out of his control, and that you know in the end he finds a way to fight out of it and have some redemption. Um, and I think that that's that's a really important part of the story. Yeah, I I agree with you as well. Uh, we all have things in our lives that are seemingly out of our control. Uh, this is just a, a step higher, perhaps, than <laughs> that. But in some ways, uh, not different from the challenges that we all yeah. seem to face. Where do you go from here? We're almost out of time. But after you finish your run at the Lyric, uh, where do you I'll travel go, to? I'll go home for a bit to Chicago. And then uh, in May, I'll be on tour with uh, Andre Pacelli for his uh his uh, tour here in the states sir this is still some great entertainment uh, maybe not as much fun as the one you're yeah. doing <laughs> but it sounds like it's a role that would be yeah very fun. very fun and a challenge as well mm-hmm. edward parks he's singing the role of jack torrance in the liberty uh, uh, the liberty the lyric opera production of the shining once again opening on saturday march the 11th 7.30 p.m. Friday the 17th at 7.30 p.m. And then a matinee on Sunday the 19th at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Kaufman Center for the Performing Arts, 1601 Broadway. The website to go to is kcopera.org. And the box office phone number is 816-471-7344. It's, you've probably never seen an opera like this before. I'd, I'd love to hear people react, people's reactions after they've seen it. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us, Edward. I appreciate hey, this. For having me. It's a great subject to cover. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. That's uh, the Lyric Opera production of The Shining. Uh, you thought the movie was scary or the book? How about the opera? Well, well, I guess we'll find out. It's time now for our mid-show break. When we return, we're going to uh, journey up to the Bell Road Barn Theater in Parkville. It's been years since I was in a show at the Bell Road Barn. We'll find out how things are going in their production of Dead Man's Cell Phone. The director is with us and two of the actresses, and we'll talk with them all about that when we return. You're listening to the Arts Magazine radio program. Hi, I'm Russ Simmons with Freeze Frame. KKFI's weekly look at the newest cinematic fair in theaters and streaming. Creed 3 has Michael B. Jordan, check. Jonathan Majors is solid as his nemesis, check. It has well-staged boxing scenes, check. And those three checks are just enough to make the third installment in the Rocky spin-off series worth a look for fans who love the boxing movie genre. It marks Jordan's directorial debut and his work is more than competent. It's no knockout by any means, but Creed 3 should still have some box office punch. While it has all the requisite elements for an action thriller, Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, excels at none of them. Guy Ritchie's James Bond wannabe stars Jason Statham as a backside-kicking special ops agent and Aubrey Plaza as an acerbic computer whiz. They try to retrieve a super-hacking device from some billionaires bent on world domination. Operation Fortune has plenty of mayhem, explosions, and eye candy, but it's all in service of a third-rate script. Filmmaker Patrick Ray's newest entry, They Wait in the Dark, is an eerie, locally-made horror thriller now available on most video-on-demand platforms. Sarah McGuire gives a solid performance as a woman who takes her son into hiding when they're threatened by her violent ex-partner. 
but supernatural forces follow as well. They wait in the dark as a tight, well-placed little chiller. Turn Every Page, The Adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb is a documentary about the 50-year relationship between legendary 86-year-old historical writer Robert Caro and his 91-year-old editor Robert Gottlieb. Turn Every Page is a fascinating and involving behind-the-scenes glimpse of these two literary titans and their sometimes contentious affiliation, a partnership that continues to this day. Well, that's it for this edition of Freeze Frame. Until next time, I'm Russ Simmons with Fox 4 and KKFI-FM. Hi, this is Mark Manning. For local and new releases and a mix of all genre, for interviews with artists, musicians, and writers, for freeform radio that plays with themes, questions, and events, tune in to Wednesday Midday Medley, Wednesdays from 10 to noon, right here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Catch the local showcase every Thursday night on KKFI, where we highlight local musicians, poets, artists, and events from the Kansas City and surrounding areas. Curated and brought to you by a different KKFI host from week to week. That's the local showcase every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Right here on 90.1 FM KKFI. Welcome back to the Arts Magazine Show right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, your community radio station right here in Kansas City. I am Michael Hogue, your host. We're going to journey on up to the Bell Road Barn Theater in Parkville. And I am old enough, Gary, to have actually seen the old barn building up there. It was actually founded the year I was born, 70 years ago. <laughs> Long ago. The, the building still existed. I was not in a show that performed at the barn. By, by the time I was there, they were at that theater in Riverside that, unfortunately, a few years later, got completely flooded out down there. So, uh, so I never met uh, uh, the gentleman that started the theater. The, the father, by the way, of uh, Jenny Fopiano started that theater as well. I did meet his widow, and she was still living at the farm. But she was ready to sell and move. Mm-hmm. So that kind of uh, ended the building part of it being there. But we did have rehearsals there. It's a very old theater. Some say the oldest community theater in the area. But that other theater called The Barn. <laughs> they disagree. <laughs> so when they're on, uh, uh, they argue the other point of the of the thing. Gary is the director of the show. He is also a board member, uh, president actually of Kansas City Actors Theater. Have you been on through that on uh, my show? I, I have not. Okay. Uh, uh, we did do a whole series of radio plays during the pandemic yes. on KKFI. Yes, that's true. Yeah, during the pandemic yes. uh, and, and with the unfortunate passing of Charles Perugia. Mm. Uh, that slot was filled by Kansas City Actors Theater and some of the original theater, theater productions that they did. You directed Master Harold and the Boys. Now, I remember doing uh, an interview about that. And... Uh, yeah, the, uh, this was at Kansas City Actors Theater, and it's sort of always been on my bucket list. I just think it's an extraordinary play, and it was the right time, the right time to do it. Gary is also, well, he, and he also directed uh, About Alice uh, at the Unicorn. No, 
about Alice was at Actors Theater and about Alice was at the Unicorn. Uh, about Center. Alice was at Kansas City Actors Theater and How to Steal a Picasso was at the Unicorn. That's right. He was also a, uh, a Graceland College professor of theater up in Lamoni, Iowa, has a PhD in theater and drama from the University of Wisconsin. Jeannie Blau is with us as well. Uh, yes, I am. Involved in, uh, as I recall, sales and, and media sales. You type. have a good memory, yes. I was in broadcast sales for 36 years. Is, is this as exciting as that? It's a lot more exciting. <laughs> Theater is much more exciting. I remember having a conversation with one Johnny Dolan oh, years yes. ago. Oh, yes. And he told me that people in the sales department, they were the ones that made all the money. Well, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's what people thought. That's and what it, it was a great way to make a living until uh, the last few years were kind of... Uh, tedious, but I'm glad to be retired so I can do theater now. Yeah, again. Do, do you do a lot of the, Well, you've done well, a lot of theater over the years? I've done a lot of theaters over the years. I've done, um, well, for 30 years on and off. I took a 15 year hiatus because my job was just too stressful and I couldn't do it all. But I retired nine years ago and I started doing shows and I'm still doing shows and I'll do any show anybody wants me to do. Oh, well, don't say that now. <laughs> Not all of them are the greatest, but, <laughs> but thank you for saying that. Sure. I know nothing about Shannon King, so. <laughs> oh, hello, I'm Shannon King. <laughs> Where have we seen you before? So it's been a while, too. I took a bit of a hiatus, kind of like Jeannie, over the last couple of years. But I was at the living room in some productions a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, and okay. hail from Memphis, Tennessee, so in a bunch there before I moved here. The living room has kind of changed directions in a way recently it absolutely has locations and directions and doing some great stuff yeah doing some things with uh yeah Heidi Van in the yes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. black box in the black box yeah and uh, he also one of the one of the two uh gentlemen occasionally has a show I think one Saturday a month here on KKFI mm -hmm. where he interviews entertainment people as well but welcome all of you to the Thank show. You. Uh, it's Thank been a you. long time since I did a Bell Road Barn interview. I think I did one about a production that was outside in a park up there during during the COVID times. Of course, I think but that might have been the last time that I did one up there. Uh, it is uh, called Dead Man's Cell Phone. And how contemporary. Because <laughs> we all have them. We all use them to one degree or another. And uh, I don't think we realize how much it tells about us. Uh, I, I mentioned before we began the there was a the murder trial on court TV that was happening in I think South Carolina, mm -hmm. and the gentleman that was found guilty ultimately a lot of the evidence was from his cell phone, not only when he used it, but they had an expert come on and told us where he was at a certain time because of what the signal was telling them, and how fast his car was going at a certain time as well. So it tells us a lot about ourselves. And, and in this play, the, the, the cell phone, the dead man's cell phone, really becomes a central character in, in the play. Uh, at times the play is realistic, but then in the middle of nowhere, uh, there's about a 30-second cell phone ballet that we, we listen to. And for me, one of the themes is while cell phones connect us in ways we, 
weren't connected before, they also isolate us mm -hmm. in ways we weren't isolated before. Oh, you go to restaurants, people aren't really talking to each other. They're looking at that phone. Oh, if you're on a college campus and you see <laughs> every, every student's on there, sometimes they're on a bench and I think they're texting each other. Um, <laughs> it makes you wonder, doesn't it, uh, if they're not finding out maybe the, the answer to the upcoming pop quiz, which they already know about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes you wonder about yes. things like that. Now, Shannon plays the lady who... Does, discovers does, the cell phone. Does he pass away at a restaurant? In a cafe. In a cafe. cafe. Okay. And you're left with his cell phone. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where the play opens, is, is finding the cell phone, and everything kind of unfolds from there. And so what's in the character's mind? Does she <laughs> want to learn more about this gentleman? I think she does. She definitely wants to learn more. I think she doesn't know what she's getting uh, herself into. She's someone herself who's maybe more disconnected, probably unlike most people in terms of technology and having a cell phone, so it's a bit new to her. Um, but she gets whirlwind sucked in, kind of just like it's a black hole, and goes deeper and deeper exploring the families, the people, and the man himself, and just finding herself within that. Does she discover things she ultimately didn't want to learn? She absolutely does, <laughs> and that's the fun of the show. <laughs> and, and if it's okay, we won't mention. What, what oh, no, that's that's yeah. all right. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> other than the short summaries I was able to read, I don't really know anything about the show. But it sounds interesting with our contemporary society and why the fact that we're just glued to those phones right now. Yeah, it was written almost 15 years ago, but it seems so contemporary. Oh, my. Um, she, uh, uh, the, the author... Uh, Sarah Rule uh, received a MacArthur Genius Grant in 2006, and this play was opened in 2007. So I don't know, but I think she probably spent part of her MacArthur Genius time writing this play. Well, either that or she already had the idea, and this allowed her to pursue mm -hmm. it further, of course. Jeannie Blau plays uh, the mother. The mother, uh -huh. Mrs. Gottlieb. Mrs. Harriet Gottlieb. <laughs> Do you want her to learn more about your son, or would you rather that she didn't? Well, I, I'm learning about my son through her. Ah. And uh, not to give too much away, but my son and I were a little bit on the outs when he died. And if you see the play, you know, Mrs. Gottlieb probably wouldn't be described as a lovable person. <laughs> um, I hope by the end of the show, though, people understand the character and know that she is, in her own way, lovable. So, yeah. <laughs> You're going to try to make her that I, way, regardless. I am, I am trying. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard, but I'm trying. <laughs> well, regardless of what Ms. Rule could tell you. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, yes. that's another thing that uh, mass media and things like that have done. I know several directors who have come here to talk to me about the show in the past, they were not able to contact the original playwright or anything like that. Today they can. They can send an email, and sometimes they even get uh, replies. I, I was uh, uh, connected with a professor in Minnesota who has written the, the definitive book on Sarah Rule. And uh. it was just a friend uh, uh, introduced me to her, uh, and, and we talked via um, um, Zoom. So. Does she... Ms. Rule now. Does she specialize in plays more cutting edge? Yes. Um, we, were, we were talking before we came on, and uh, I think this is, will be the fifth Sarah Rule play that's been done in Kansas City. There might be more, but uh, Eurydice, The Oldest Boy, 
in the next room, the vibrator play and the clean house, most of those uh, were originally performed at the Unicorn. Um, uh, and, and she's, her style of writing is really challenging because one minute it's a very realistic scene, the next minute we're in a spiritual pipeline, then there's the cell phone ballet, and then the, 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 the stationary uh, parade. So it, it's, there are 12 scenes and the 12 don't resemble each other at all. No. Oh, yeah. And she tells a lot of story through her stage notes, which I think is very different than you see in a lot of other plays where she, she does a lot in dialogue, but she tells a lot of story in stage notes only. Yes. Does that, yes. How does that affect uh, getting help, across to the audience? It helps build the world for us, I think, yes, as actors. Absolutely. I mean, she'll tell so many secrets, it feels like, in the stage directions right. and what people are thinking and doing and things that are happening around them that you don't have to perform on stage, but they help build build the world you live in. And I think who you are kind of helps create the character for you. Certainly. Yeah. 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 I pay very close attention to the stage directions. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, the director is here. Yes. Right? <laughs> uh, and, and you kind of have to because the play is all over the place and any help you can get from her is really valuable. Uh, like I say, stylistically, it's I, I wouldn't have the words to describe it other than to say it's not realism, it's not, you know, uh, uh, some, you know, German uh, weird. I mean, it, it's, every scene is different, uh, and every scene is creative in a different way. And interestingly, too, the dialogue is all over the place. <laughs> I mean, she goes mm -hmm. from one thought to another, uh, two thoughts that have nothing to do with one another. I mean, it's like ADD, you know. I'm mean, she's just, but it makes it also very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> and, and she does that sometimes in the context of a person on a crowded train. If if you just listen to the thirty eight conversations around you, it can sound yes. like yes, uh, yes. He makes a litany of words that he hears in this train, uh, 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 and none of them make any sense. Other than the, the, those were the four topics he heard riding on the train. Yeah, and how they all kind of blend together. Yes. Even so, mm -hmm. now are you the kind of director that, because of the relevance of this show, did you make them turn off their cell phones during rehearsal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I believe, are going to uh, allow people to keep their cell phones on with the understanding that there could be repercussions <laughs> if, if they do. I had, a, I had a director one time. We were doing an, an Agatha Christie mystery. She took out of everyone's script. Uh, the scripts come, came from Samuel French in those days. She took out the last seven pages of everyone's script, and until she wanted you to have the conclusion, oh. you didn't have the conclusion. Wow. Now, you could have cheated and gone to the sure. library, but it was much more fun doing mm. it this way. Because... Oh. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know for absolute sure who that murderer was. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> Little uh, techniques like that, I think, kind of help uh, help build things. Now, now your character, what, what is the name of your character? Jean. Yeah. And that's almost all you know about Jean. <laughs> you don't really get to know much of her past, and she learns. you learn about her from how she learns about others for the most part. Is she a normally curious person? I think she's very inquisitive, very curious and loves learning about other people. Had she had a conversation with this gentleman before he passed No, on? she goes in. She goes in with no information, and that's how the show just starts. Well, that's interesting. Most most people, I don't think, would uh, would take the time to explore it for, further. Uh, being near someone in a cafe when they passed away would be shocking enough. Uh, you wouldn't want to hear anything more about it, probably. That would probably be the normal reaction, but 
Your character's reaction was much different. Yep, she wants to just learn the memories. She wants to learn the person who was there. And as Gary kind of mentioned earlier, it's so interesting that both the cell phone and the dead man play really huge roles, even though one's an inanimate object and one's a, a dead person. Um, but they play <laughs> such a big, big characters within the show. How surprised was his mother when she learned some of these things about her? Well. We think our mothers... She, we. <laughs> I think my mother knew everything about us, but probably not. Well, she, no, definitely not. She wasn't, um, to put it uh, mildly, she probably wasn't the best mother. Um, she has two sons, and um, this one, Gordon, is, is dead. And I, I think she has lots of regrets. Um, and the regrets come out during the course of the play. I mean, somewhere inside of her, she knows she could have been a better mother, but she just, it's just her personality. It just, it just wasn't there. Yeah. Well, that's you know? one of the sad things. Yeah, yeah, but she loved, but she loved her son mm -hmm. and loved the son who was, and loves the son who is still living, but she does it in a, in a not so lovable way. It is uh, sad when a child precedes the parent yes. or even grandparent uh, yes that's that's a sad thing you you feel like uh, for that relationship you write down an incomplete if you were grading them as a student i think <laughs> do you need you do you want to say the line that specifically references that about uh, the uh, having someone younger than mm. you oh when someone older than you dies that line mm -hmm. okay when someone when someone older than you dies it gets it gets better every day, but when someone younger than you dies, it gets worse every day, like grieving in reverse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. Of course. We're talking with members of the uh, team putting on the show Dead Man's Cell Phone. It's the next, uh, next show up on the boards at the Bell Road Barn Theater, back, back to doing things again in yes. Parkville, Missouri. Uh, moved around a lot during right. the years. Uh, and this performance is uh, at, in Alumni Hall at Park University, where, where they've been situated for a while. It's a really nice relationship that, that Park allows us to use their, their space, and it's a really nice theater. It's yeah. a great space. If yeah, I, it's a great space. If I can take a step back for a moment, uh, Jingen David, who started the Bell Road Barn, was a professor of drama at Park University, mm -hmm. and uh, that's how the, the group got started uh, over 70 years ago now. Yeah, <laughs> 70, yeah. yeah and he, he put that on. So his students and children, he had several children. In fact, his daughter went on to be uh, a professional actress, uh, appeared in a lot of the Milgram's plays. I was just telling Gary and Shannon that before. Janie Fopiano was in every Milgram's commercial for years. Yeah, for those of you yeah. old enough, yeah, Janie from Milgram's, yes, that yes. was her. Yeah, and, yes. and Jenkin David was her father. So that theater's always right. been a part of their family's life, right. uh, despite all the locations that it's been. It, at the time I did a show up there, uh, they were out of the barn on Bell Road. There is a Bell Road. It's just on the west side of uh, the campus. It runs north and south, and that's where we had some rehearsals there. But the shows were actually in a show in Riverside. It was a nice, it was a very nice building. I'll always remember the mirrored hall that oh, they had yeah. in the front room yeah. there. Mm -hmm. But that was destroyed in the flood, and so it was, uh, you know, on to different places then. I, they were in one high school. I remember seeing, a, oh, a musical about the, uh, a shipboard cruise. Uh, 
Were they all tapped? I remember Is that. Uh, anything goes or no? I don't know. I might have been. It might have been anything goes. Uh, but it was in the high school there. It was just off of Nine Highway. And then they were on campus for a while, and then they were not, and now they're back. And I'm, I'm glad that they're back. Yeah, it's, it's a really nice space and very mm -hmm. very audience-friendly. And this is the first time I've performed with uh, the Bell Road Barn players, and so it's, uh, it's kind of fun, you know? Where have you I all mean, performed over the years? Oh, wow. Not just recently. Okay. Go oh, back as far, as far as you dare. How much time do we have? No. I've done a lot of shows at Okta, the LA okay. Community Civic Theater. Um, I've done a couple of shows with Spinning Tree. Um, the J, the at White Theater Jewish Community Center. It's a great building. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's that is a fabulous space. Um, some theaters that are not the Gypsy Theater, which is not around anymore. Um, I wish I had my resume in front of me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, off and on for thirty years, so I've been around a little bit. What about Shannon? Yeah, so since being here, um, the living room mostly, I think, was were most of my productions when I moved here. But before that, was in Memphis, so a bunch of different places there. But I also... So you work with the, Miss Heidi? Uh, um, a little bit. Rusty Smeary mostly over at the, at the living room. Uh -huh. But I was also the development director at the Coterie Theater for four-plus years. Sure. A number of years ago, yeah. too. So. Very, very well thought of. Coterie Theater. Absolutely. Uh, Gary, of course, is a, well, probably worked in a lot of places doing theater. Yeah, I, I was a professor of theater, as you mentioned, at Graceland University for the, the bulk of my career. Uh, and then I went a little bit more into um, the dark side educational administration. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I've, I've, I've kept my foot in the theater the whole, the, the whole time. And, um, and, but mostly, ha I haven't directed a lot of community theater. Uh, mostly it's been either college or professional. Professional. And it, it, yeah. it's just been great working with Bell Road. Uh, the cast is fabulous. I think we're having a we're ton having of fun. We're of having fun. a blast, yes. Uh, and it, it's, 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 and it's, it's really a joyful script in its own way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's part comedy, part drama. Um, you know. Really quirky. Yeah, very quirky. <laughs> Glad to hear that. We're wondering when we're going to get laughs. We have no idea. We have no idea. Normally, well, the, you, you can you tell. You open on Friday the 10th, and that's coming up in yes, a few days. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> 7.30 p.m. Performances continue then Saturday the 11th, 7.30. A matinee on Sunday the 12th at 2. Then another weekend of shows as well. Friday the 17th, 7.30. Saturday the 18th, 7.30. Sunday the 19th. A matinee, 2 o'clock p.m. at the David Theater, because his name was uh, Jenkin David. So it's only right that it be named the David Theater on the campus of Park University, 8700 Northwest River Park Drive, Parkville, Missouri. If you need to map quest things, you need the zip code 64152. And the campus itself is just off of Nine Highway. Mm -hmm. And if you're coming from the east, you make a right turn then and go up. There's probably other ways. There might even be an entrance from Bell Road on the other side. Yeah, it's sure. just a few blocks before the sort of city center of Parkville. Yeah, yeah. you can see the city center from when you turn into the university. The first time I, I was on that campus was when, back in high school when they had these mock U, United mm. Nations oh. conferences, and I was one who represented their high school at the conference. And uh, that seemed like a really big deal then. Yeah. yeah really did. Yeah. Yeah, but they've been there for some time now. Place has a lot of history. 
and all of that. I'm glad they're back to doing shows again and, and having you direct it. Dead man's cell phone. <laughs> Who was he? <laughs> what happened to him? What does he have to hide? Well, you have to come to the show to find out. And, so, and he has a lot to hide. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so you need to go on their website, bellroadbarn.org, or call up their box office number, 816-587-0218, and uh, make your arrangements to, if you choose to attend uh, the Bell Road Barn Players production of Dead Man's Cell Phone, opening up starting this Friday, yes. the 10th of March, on the campus in the David Theater, on the campus of Park University in Parkville, Missouri. I want to thank you all for coming. Well, thanks thank so much you. for I had a great out. time reliving some, at times, old, old memories. <laughs> 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 thanks so much. Hi. Gary Heiserer. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the director, a board member, of course, of Actors Theater. If I had more minutes, I'd ask you what's coming up over there. But uh, I'll hear. I'm. I'm. I'm sure I'll hear soon. Yes. With some of the things going on over there, and uh, Jeannie Blau, uh, now yes. retired from the yes, sales yes, world. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> do you miss the uh, the excitement of that? Uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which radio stations? Tell the folks. Well, I was with uh, KUDL and WHB for years. Wow. But the last 14 years, I was with Fox 4 here right down the street selling airtime. That's so, right. Yeah. And as Johnny Dolan said yeah. years ago, no, some it people... A, it was a great... Some, it, some people listening don't even remember Johnny Dolan. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, I remember having a conversation with him, and, and he took, he said, uh, he says, oh, the salespeople make all the money down there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think Johnny's done pretty well for himself <laughs> over the years. Probably too. has. <laughs> and thanks to uh, Shannon King as well. Anything planned uh, stage-wise uh, after this ends? No, not up next. Keeping my <laughs> eyes open. Okay. Auditions are coming up. <laughs> Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. The Jazz Canadian is coming up next. He's going to be playing some fine jazz for us, as he always does. We have jazz from 1 to 3. We have the blues from 3 to 6, right here on your community radio station, 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City's community radio. So until next, we meet, ladies and gentlemen, at that cross in the road. I'm Michael Hogue. We'll see you next time.
Thank you.